Well, good evening again. Um, we've got a lot to cover tonight, so I'm going to go straight into it. Uh, let me refresh your memory of the two verses that we have as the background for understanding all of this in the context. And I would say, I see there's a number of young future men in the, in, in, in the congregation tonight. I would challenge you, young men, to, to listen to this. Because I so wish that when I was young, a preacher stood before me and told me these things. That I had, had the ability to realize that before I marry a wife, that I would have been able to read through all of God's word and determined what it meant to be married to a wife. And before I had children, that I had the grace of God in, in, by the grace of God, were able to read through all of Scripture to determine what it is to be a father. And these are the things we are addressing tonight. And as I say again, if you're older, it doesn't change a thing. Regardless what your background is, God will use that. God will use whatever you've been through. If you come face to face with truth, he will use that in your life to bless you and bless others. So the, the verses we're focusing on is uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Therefore be in, imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray, Lord, that you will bless them this evening with your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would make it so that I will not be a hindrance in any way, but that your word would flow truthfully and faithfully to your people, Lord. This is your people here today. And I remember as you spoke to Peter and you instructed him, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Lord, may your people be fed tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a brief overview of this morning. We, we, we set the scene for the context of what it means to be a biblical father. Uh, we looked at the, the position of a husband as the leader of his home both in context of, of his marriage and that predominantly as the example for his children because we're talking about fatherhood tonight and, uh, and this morning. And, and then from that, embracing the reality and the responsibility of what it is to be a father in a biblical context. We, we started looking at that this morning and, and really we, we stopped right when we actually got to this verse. Uh, you, you remember we, we looked at, you looked at the, all, all, the, all the hindrances, and then we, we came to this verse. Let me just start this, or else I'm never going to stop in time. Um, we, 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 came, we looked at the, 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 the objections to this reality, and then we started asking ourselves what it is that we want for our children from a biblical perspective. And I now want to come to Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 because this is really the, 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 two, the two verses that is really at the root of what it is to be a godly father. It is 
what is at the root of our desires for our children. And we discussed this morning how vast the desires could be that we would have in this world for our children. But what we need to consider in this verse is, first of all, what it states there, that we should be imitators of God. Now, brethren, what a greater example do we not have in the Bible of a father? I mean, if we consider the example for husbands, husband, love your wife as Christ has loved the church and give himself up for her. Who of us can attain that? And now here, on the other hand, God is commanding us as fathers, be imitators of me. I am the heavenly father, the father of fathers. Be imitators of me. You know, one thing we need to realize above all things, my dear brothers and sisters, is that God is not a derelict father. God is not a derelict father in any way. I remember two soldiers I witnessed to a number of years ago. This was still while we were in Borden before we came to Lynham. And these two soldiers weren't believers, but as we met, they made a profession. They came to Christ. We spent weeks together, months together, studying the Word. And they were a joy to my heart. They grew in faith. They grew in their understanding of the Lord Jesus. And then, before you knew it, they were posted away. They were both posted to Germany. Now, Germany in the British Army is the most difficult of places, I would say, for Christian to go because all they do is drink and, and many other things that does not fit in with the Christian lifestyle. And I warned these two men. I said, do, when you go out there, this is a church. They have English services. Go and join them. Become a member of a church immediately because you're going to face trials like you have never considered. These two soldiers, you know, young strappy lads went out there. You'd think if anybody would be up for the fight, it would be them. They went up there. I didn't hear a thing from them for about five years. Five years passed. Uh, this was a couple of years ago when they came back to Borden. Uh, they came back to Borden. I didn't know about it. You know, they were there for five, five months before I bumped into them the first day. One day I was in the cookhouse just walking around talking to guys. And lo and behold, there stood Matt, one of these soldiers. I walked up to him thinking he's just gotten back on his upgraded course. Full of delight. I'm like, Matt, how are you doing? I've missed you, brother. And he's like, yeah, I'm doing good, Tian. How are you? Um, you know, we started a conversation. As we engaged in conversation, the other guy came up. He was back on the same course. I said, could I join you guys for dinner? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I sat down with them. And as we started talking, I realized they had been there for five months. Hadn't looked me up. Well, I, they don't have to look me up. But if you're Christian, you would look up fellowship. And, you know, that concerned me a little bit. A couple of minutes later, they, their friends from the course came and sat next to them. And you know, within minutes, these two young men were swearing and cursing just like the rest of the soldiers around them. You know, I stood up, left my plate there, put my, pushed my chair into the table, and I said to the two guys, by the authority of God's word, we declares to us, do you not notice that Christ Jesus is in you unless you fail to meet the test? I said, the Bible tells us that we need to examine ourselves whether the truth is in us. I said to him, my friends, 
The way you two are behaving here, I cannot say that you are a Christian. In fact, everything that's happening here indicates to me that you possibly do not know the Lord at all. And I turned around and I walked away. I walked to my office grieving in my heart for those two guys. I was there for a, couple of, for a couple of minutes when Matt, one of the guys, came to my office. He knocked on the door. He said, Tian, can I come in? Can I need to talk to you? He came in and we started talking. And he said, you wouldn't know what the pressure was like being there. He said, we got there. We got to the same unit. For about two weeks, we, we, we had we, 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 we had." All the pressure from all of the guys on our unit to come and drink with them, to come and do the things they do. And every time we said no, they, they, they would say, come, you know, you guys need to be one of us. You need to be part of the team. And eventually we thought we'd just go one night. And we'd go and we drank with them. And before you knew it, we were drinking every night. And Matt said, for four years I had not been in a church. And I know the other guy hasn't been as well. I think you're right. I think I do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said to Matt, Matt, the fact that you're here talking to me, perhaps is a sign that the Lord actually did do a work in your life. We need to understand this. I said to him, God is not a derelict father. He will not let you play around in sin. If you can go around doing what other people do, watching pornography, doing whatever, all the stuff that people do in the world, and God doesn't come to get you, then you need to be very concerned, my friend. God is not a derelict father. He will come for you. And the question is, how do we become imitators in God in that way? What do you allow your children to do? Do you take care about the the, the, the things that they engage in, the things they do. Do you know what they're doing? I'm not saying we should invade all their privacy. No. What I'm saying is, do you have a relationship with your children that they would share these type of things with you if they struggle with it? Think of the things you bring before God in prayer. If we're imitators of God, then surely we should be the type of people that our children would trust when they struggle. That they would come to us, Mom, Dad, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray with me? Can you help me? This is what God calls us to do. And this is what that verse starts with saying. We need to be imitators of God. But it's more than that. Look at what it goes on to say. It says, walk in love. I said to you guys this morning when that pastor said to me, you know, love your family. In some way I thought he would have come up with something more profound, but I realized it's the most profound thing that we considered. Because if we walk in love, we will be walking like Jesus Christ. Walking love as what? Like what? Are we given the example? Yes, we are. As Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering. Do you, do you give yourself up for your family? You know, a while ago, YouTube can be a blessing. YouTube can be a curse. Oftentimes, I used to call it YouTube. My ma- wife always loved, laughed at me. But uh, the things that I've seen on, on YouTube has really broken my heart. I saw it, and, and, and often it's things that it's applauded by the world. Sometimes things that is applauded by Christians. I remember a friend of mine, a Christian friend, 
coming to me one day with a real smug attitude. Oh, I saw the best video the other day on YouTube. I'll send you a link. He sent me a link. I watched it. I cried when I look at, looked at that link, brothers and sisters. Really, maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've laughed at it. I don't know. But it was about this young man, 22-year-old man, acted like a boy, wasn't grown up. You see, the problem we have is this idea of adolescence, isn't it? You know, culture has now given us another excuse. In the past, boys were boys until they wanted to be men, and then they became men. Now we've given the middle ground. Oh, you can spend 10 years being an adolescent where you're going to learn how to become a man. No. Years ago, children who were 15, 16 were ready to start a family, not still playing computer games like we do to, today. And this young man I was, was talking about, he was a young man that was clearly not being taught by his dad, clearly not being discipled by his dad. He loved computer games. It seemed like his life consisted about computer games. And he had hordes of computer games. He had PlayStations. And the video starts with his brother or somebody else following him around with a camera. And the boy, the young man, walks into the room and he looks at the TV and he looks at his PlayStation and he looks and he sees all his games is gone. And all of a sudden you see a terror come over this young man. And he's like, where's my games? Where's my da- games? Dad, where's my games? And he walks all through the house looking for his games. And eventually he walks outside into the garden. And there's his father sitting on a ride-on lawnmower. And before him lays all of the games that this young boy possesses. And what does the dad do? Clearly the dad has spoken to him about this habit. The dad has a desire for his young boy to grow up and become a man. But he doesn't have the moral, moral fortitude to teach him how to become a man. And instead, out of his own desperation and frustration, he decides to drive over his son's games and destroys them all. And this young man is broken. He's crying. He's desperate. Is that walking in love? That's not walking in love. That is a father who was too lazy to instruct his child. Too lazy to take him when it was when he could do something about them and teach him and say, Son, you're playing these things. I can see it's entertaining. I can see it grips you. But you know what? You've been made for greater things than this. You have been made for far greater things. None of these games are ever going to satisfy you. You've been made for, to glorify God and to enjoy Him throughout all eternity. That's what you were made for. Anything else in this world will never satisfy you. You will feel empty until the day you reach that point where you realize that you have been made to glorify God. We have been made... We have been made to glorify God. And fathers, we glorify God in equipping our children. Walking love as Christ Jesus walked in love, presenting himself as a living sacrifice to God for us. What would that look like? If you ever read the Gospel of Mark, the other evening my wife wanted to put Mark, the Gospel of Mark on a on an audio tape for my three boys to listen in. They love listening to the Bible when they go to sleep. And uh, they, you know, she put it on and she said, can this be the beginning? Because he was just listening on this thing and it was, you know, halfway through the first chapter. 
and says Jesus is already re- healing somebody. Now, she's read Mark a number of times before, but still, it shocked, shocked her that right there in chapter 1, Jesus is on, on the march healing somebody. If you've read Mark, you'd see it's one of the most exhaustive books in the Bible. It goes through Jesus, Jesus' pace is then he did this, immediately he does this, then he did this, and immediately he did, he, he did, he did that. I, I some, you know, I, sometimes I feel the Lord sends me to places where people preach uh, passages that are that just that they're just waiting for argument about. And uh, I went to a place, and the, the preacher preached about a, a passage in Mark where Jesus and the disciples sends the disciples across Lake Galilee to go and rest. He says, "Let us go over there so that you may rest." And the preacher spoke on this passage about the need for Christians to rest, the need for preachers to rest. And, you know, I, I, think, I think lots of preachers are lazy. I think this is why we get the type of preaching we do. But, you know, regardless, that's my opinion. But uh, the, 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 the boat goes over. And, and they fail to realize that actually by the time they get over there, the passage says that the crowds had run over to get to the other side before Jesus got there. And as they got there, they didn't go to rest. They started ministering to those people immediately till late in the night. And then Jesus went away to pray some more. It's one of the exhaust, most exhausting books that you see. And yet this is Jesus walking in, in love as fathers. Do we, do we see that need with our children and do we embrace the, the responsibility of giving ourselves up for our children? Think of what Jesus did. He proclaimed the gospel. He taught. He discipled. He cared for those that were in need. He provided. He blessed. He healed the brokenhearted. He healed the sick. He stood for justice. He displayed righteousness. He fed the hungry. He glorified God. And that is what it means to give yourself up for other people. Are we going to be fathers who give ourselves up for our families? Or are we going to continue hanging around with our friends? Playing games, doing this, doing that. Or are we going to pour ourselves out for our families? Let's go with me quickly to Genesis 18. I want to address something there. This is one of those examples that we have in the Bible of a, of a godly father and the call that is placed upon fathers. Chapter 18, verses 17 to 19. Uh, so let's start at 17. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. Abraham was chosen to command his children. It wasn't Sarah. It wasn't somebody else. It wasn't the Sunday school teacher, the principal, or the local community center. It was Abraham that was called to teach 
his children, to equip his children. That word there, the word for command, it's a crucial word. In Hebrew, it's the word sava. And it's a word that doesn't only mean command, but it's a word that carries the idea that he is one that is sent with a message. And that's important, isn't it? Ultimately, what the Bible is saying there, Abraham was sent to his children with a message that were to become a generational message that had to be carried over every, every generation so that his children after him may be taught. How many pointless messages are there not in the world, do you think? You know, I can remember when I just joined the army, uh, one of the things that I got a little bit of in trouble for, you know, when we went on ranges, the corporals would often keep you busy with fitness. They would send you up and down to a tree. And my specific corporal had this funny idea that he would tell you, he would tell you the clerk, run up to that tree and tell him that you know, you're, you're a terrible shot. So you'd run up to that tree and you'd stand there pretending to talk to the tree. And then you'd run back. And the corporal would say, the clerk, what did the tree say? Uh, he didn't say anything, corporal. Go and ask him what he thinks about that. So you're back to the tree, you know. And, and you, 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 you get back to the tree and he's like, okay, you know, now I'm going back. You have to think of a message that the tree has for the corporal. And so corporal, the, the, uh, the tree thought that it wasn't that bad. That's not good enough. Go and tell the tree if he's got any other opinions. And the third time I ran back to this tree, I came back to the corporal and I said to him, well, corporal, I think the tree wants to speak to you. The rest of the guys laughed. But uh, that wasn't, it was funny only for a moment until we were all sent up and down to the street. And I wasn't popular anymore. But there's so many pointless messengers. But we haven't been sent with a pointless message. We have been sent and equipped with the message of God, the gospel, that we need to impart to our children every moment that we have. <clears throat> we are to equip them with the truth of God. What did God refer to when he said in that passage, I shall hide, shall I, shall I hide this from Abraham? What do you think he referred to? Was it not the fact that God was about to destroy all of Sodom and Gomorrah because of God's wrath towards that place? God was literally saying, shall I hide my wrath from Abraham? And this is the problem, isn't it? We live in a society, in a world that want, to, that want to sanitize Christianity. Uh, somebody told me that the Church of Scotland re recently had a, uh, employed a marketing company to ask how they could market the church better. Can you believe that? The Church of God going to, world, to the world to say, what can we do better? You know, their response was, take away the cross. The cross is offensive to people today. Can you believe? Can you believe that the church would do that? That they didn't do that, but still, even going to them, we have been equipped with the gospel of God, which is centered around the fact that God is a God of wrath and anger. He is angry at the wicked every day, but he's also a God who loved us so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not, not perish, but have eternal life. 
And how do those things meet? At the cross when Jesus took our sin upon himself. You see, God chose not to hide his wrath from Abraham so that Abraham could gain a full understanding of who, he, who God was and that he might, might realize the importance and imminent threat that he faced if he had not taught these great truths to his children. You know, think hard of examples in the Bible of great fathers. It, it, it is really hard to find them. You know, you have Paul who had his investment in other young men who he called his children. That's probably the only one that you're going to find. And then you had Abraham. Everyone else in between seemed to have messed it up. This is how difficult it is. But think of Abraham. Think how this struck Abraham. And, and he, he, when, when he, for instance, went forth with, with Isaac, and he went up that mountain when God said, go and sacrifice your only beloved son, we don't know much of how Abraham brought Isaac up, but this is something that tells us a lot. A lot of people, when they consider little Isaac being sacrificed, they have in their mind this little picture of a little boy going up a mountain with a little pile of wood on his back to be sacrificed. Do you know how much wood you would need to fully consume a human sacrifice? The Bible says that, that, that Isaac went up carrying the wood. He had to carry all the wood. If you read the next passage, it would indicate that, uh, that Isaac was probably about 30 years or so around there when his mother died. The very next passage. It is more likely that Isaac was a young man who was taught so well by his dad to trust God and to trust his father that he was willing to go up that mountain, carry the wood, and when his father told him to lay on that altar, he laid on the altar. And then God stayed his hand. We think that's a wonderful story, do we not? But we forget that on that very same mountain, more than likely a couple of thousand years later, the, the God the Father put his very own son, and when he was sacrificed for our sin, God did not stay his hand, but he slay him so that we may live. That is the climax of the story. Jesus carried his cross. Isaac carried his wood. Obedient children, children that understand that their fathers are there to teach them the truth and the reality of God. But who of us today, fathers, would say, yes, I'm an imitator of God. I would be too fearful to say that. I know I failed too much in my life as a Christian, as a father. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for that every day, brothers and sisters. We should strive for that. How does Abraham relate to us? Romans 4 make it clear. He had faith before he was circumcised so that he may be both the father of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Might be Old Testament, but it relates to us perfectly. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Eleven, verse eighteen. <clears throat> you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them. 
when you are sitting in your home and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and, you, and your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. What does this mean, brothers and sisters? What does it mean? It means that fathers are responsible. It is not our wives. It is not the Sunday school. It is not the state. Fathers are responsible to teach their children. Fathers are the ones that are called to make every opportunity that they possibly can to labor, to labor intensively, to teach their children the truth of God. Look at this passage. Look at how, how intense it seems to describe this, this reality to us. Look, at it, it, it seems that, that teaching our children need to be something that consumes really every moment of our days. The first thing it says there, that we should lay up these words before us. You know, Jesus, Jesus taught us, he said, lay up treasures in heaven. Do not lay them up in the world where rust and moth and things like that can get to them. Lay them up in heaven where nobody can harm them, where they are protected by God himself. The idea of laying up treasures consists of hard work. And so, so does the idea of laying up these truths before our children. We need to labor. It's not going to happen in and of itself. It says they bind them on your hands. So the idea was, we know the Jews did this literally. They had little, little, little books of the law binded on their hands and in front of their eyes. We know that that wasn't the intention. The intention that we would so work and do things that everything we do, we would reflect on the truth and the reality of the law of God so that we may, may be directed by God's word. That we may study God's word. I said earlier, I wish somebody told me to read God's word uh, be, and, and determine these things before I got married. Husbands here, have you done that? There's, there's some of you are older. Have you read through the whole Bible just to determine, determine what it means to be a husband? Have you read through the whole Bible to determine what it means to be a father? Have you done that or have you just taken these things for granted? We are called to know our God. These things should be binded on our hands. It should be before our eyelids whenever we wake up so that we know these truths. It is, it, 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 it is, it is a situation in which we, you know, you know in the pro, Job for example, in one of the passages he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon a virgin. It was a constant choice. The, the prophets say, I have made a, co a covenant with my eyes that I would not sin against the Lord. It's taking every intentive step to honor your God and to teach your children. Teaching, it says there in this verse, it says, teaching and talking 
And sitting, while you're sitting down, while you're walking by the way, while you're lying down, while you rise, your whole life, your whole aroma should be an aroma of God-centered reality in your lives. There's a preacher I love listening to, and he said he grew up in a Buddhist home. And, you know, when he became a Christian, he found it so hard to, to, turn, to, 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 to turn away at times of festivity. Because what his mother did is when they had these feasts in the house, everything was about her gods and stuff like that. And it was stuff that was so ingrained about them. Do you take every opportunity in your house to direct your children to God? Whether you celebrate Christmas or not, does, does Christmas become all about Jesus Christ? When you... When you go to church in the morning and in the evening, does that become all about Jesus Christ? Or does it just become something you do because that's something all the other Christians do? Is it a reality in your life? You know, Proverbs 22 verse 6 is a great promise, but it's also a terrible, terrible warning for us as Christians. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and he will not depart from it. How's that a warning? Who's training your children? Who's teaching your children? Is it, is it the state? Is it, is it other people that have greater influence over children than your children than you yourself? Or are you teaching your children? Because the warning we have there is if a child is trained up in a way, he will not depart from it. So if it's ungodly people who have the most significant influence on your children, as they get trained up in the way, the Bible warns us here and says, in all likeliness, apart from the grace of God and His moving and breathing upon your child, He will not depart from those teachings. He will be saturated with them. But also, on the other hand, if you spend every moment teaching and directing your children to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have the most wonderful promise from God. He will not depart from it. Do we take God's word serious? What are you bringing your children up to be in your home? Are you, are you feeding them on entertainment? Do they have like that example I used of that boy who's... PlayStation games were destroyed. Are you giving your children the, the opportunity to, to, to live into that world, to pull into that world? You know, I'm, I'm not that strict with television. My children watch television. But every time there's a program they really like, this program, Dragons, they, they really like that. And, uh, you know, and I, and I looked at it this way with them once. And I looked and I thought, it's so exciting. It grips me. How, how is the Bible going to compete with that? We are, we are saturating our children with entertainment and we neglect to show them the excitement and truth and reality of God's Word. The most exciting journey that anybody can ever engage in. What are you bringing up in your home? Are you bringing up children? Or are you bringing up men and women to be sent out in this world to glorify God in hard places where nobody has ever glorified God before. That they may go and plant a banner in a place where nobody has gone before for Jesus Christ and that Christ may be glorified there. Is that at all your desire, even if it cost them their lives? 
Are they ours or do they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, I, I ministered to a, a soldier, one of the first soldiers I met when I joined, joined uh, Sazra. Uh, he was a young man then. We studied together. He grew. Um, he started a small fellowship. That eventually developed into a church in Tidworth. A couple of months ago, he asked me, Tian, would you come and do a seminar for us on marriage? You know, I got there and there was about 60 people. What a joy was that not to see, as it says in Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, entrust to faithful men also this, uh, the, the truth that you have learned so that they will be able to equip others. That was such a joy to me when I got to that place and I saw this guy actually ministering Oh, I pray to God that one day one of my sons would become a preacher or or a minister of God's word. But above all things, I pray that they may be Christians. Because a Christian will be a proclaimer of God's truth. I said this morning as well, what is your desire for your children? Another problem we have as fathers, we live in a society that has such narrow views on what, it, what, what, what this world is all about. Everything we go through is about satisfying yourself today. You remember that, Christi- that, that quote-unquote Christian that left his wife? All about his selfish ambitions. The majority of people are living for now. Sadly, many Christians are living for now. Why don't we see great Great cathedrals being built anymore. Yes, maybe culture has changed a bit. But the biggest problem is our culture today will only build that which we can use now or within a couple of years. We have lost the idea of a multi-generational Christianity in which we prepare the next generation to go out for God's purposes and truth. How are you preparing the next generation as a father? Are you equipping them? Are you pouring yourself out into their lives? And with that in mind, the next responsibility that the father had is to guard that future generation. You are to stand as a, as a pillar and say, I will not let my child engage in these things over my dead body. But I will teach them the truth of God. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go there quickly. We will, we will go through these things quickly so that we can get to them all. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some... Have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Who does your children hang out with perhaps? Who do you hang out with? You know, this is, this is a challenging passage. I remember a young, a young female soldier. Whenever I minister to females, I never do it on my own. If there's any interest, I invite them straight to my home so that my wife can be involved. I never meet with a, a female on their, on, on, on their own. And this young lady, she became a Christian. She was on fire for the Lord. So much so that her course mate mates would deride her they would they would joke with her they would say she's part of a sect 
and stuff like this. And, and every day for about a year and three months, she went through the most difficult situation. And I used to say to people... I used to say to people, it's so marvelous what the Lord has done in her life. And then it came to a time of her posting. She loved sport, and she wanted to go to a specific unit where there was a lot of sport activities. And she asked my advice on it, and I said to her, don't go there. I know that unit. I was a part of it. It is not the place for Christian women. You will have no end of trouble when you get there. She actually asked for that unit, she got that unit, and then when she got that, the, the unit which she said she shouldn't go to, uh, somebody else came up to her and said, do you want to swap? Because uh, I want to go to that unit, you can go to this unit. And this was the unit I suggested she should go to. And so she was a little bit perplexed. She came to me and said, what should I do? I said to her, I think you should go to the unit that I said you should go to. And she then said, oh, I've prayed about it, and I think I'm going to go to the other one. You know, this is, the, this is the crazy way we interpret truth these days, isn't it? Somebody wants to do something that their conscience is telling them they're, they're wrong, and they come to you as a friend in the church or something and say, I've prayed about it, and suddenly that's the seal of their authority. No, there's some things we don't need to pray about. There's some things that God's word is clear about. And we understand that this is what God's delight is, and so I need to do that. Yes, we should pray about it, but we shouldn't be praying whether we should be doing the other thing. God's word is clear in certain things. And so she went to this place, lost complete contact with us. Early this year, I got a letter from her. She wrote to me. It was a heartbreaking letter. It broke my heart. She said to me, Tian... I'm really sorry I've been out of contact so, so long. I know you said I shouldn't come to this place. You said it was going to be difficult. It was difficult. I thought I had to inform you that I am about to give birth to a child in, in a month from now. His name's going to be Samuel. I am not married. I will understand if you never want anything to do with me again. Now I wrote back to her and I said, We rejoice in the fact that you are going to have a child. It is going to be heartbreaking and difficult for you, but we are here to help you anytime you need help. You know, and she, she, started, she started rejoining our Bible studies through Skype, but she, she, she had bad company. She had, it, it ruined her moral standing. It ruined her whole position. What are your children doing? Who are they associating with? Are you directing and equipping and warning them? The second thing, we are to instruct our children in righteousness and self-control and in the judgment to come. In Acts 24 verse 25, when Paul comes before uh, Festus, he, 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 he instructs, it says there, that he instructed him in these things. And, he, and Festus was moved and challenged. Paul sets us a great example. Look at these things. Paul set us a great example of how he ministered to young men and unbelievers. And it's an it's a, it, it's a example we can follow. I'm not going to go into that further, but I will mention that. Uh, John Flavel, great, great Puritan to read. He's one of the most readable Puritans that you can find. He said this, If you neglect to instruct your children in the way of holiness... Will the devil neglect to instruct them in the way of wickedness? No. 
If you will not teach them to pray, he will teach them to curse. He will teach them to swear and he will teach them to lie. If ground be uncultivated, weeds will spring up. Brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us to flee youthful lust in 2 Timothy with 22. Are we teaching our children how to do that? Do you know how to flee youthful lust as a, as a, as a man? We are to set these examples. 1 Timothy 1 chapter 4 verse 16 makes that clear. We are to be examples for our children. Paul said there, he said to, he said to Timothy, consider carefully the example you set for your congregation because so doing you will not save only yourself but you will also bring salvation to your hearers brothers and sisters these are the things that we need to consider as fathers I will say briefly as a father do you have family devotions do you have a family altar where you bring your children to the word of God every day because if you're not training that in the, them in that way, if they not, do not see the importance of that reality in your life, then they are not going to be a future, uh, future generation apart from that uh, God's grace who will take those things any more serious than you do. Think of the generation to come. They are your children. Let us pray. Time has completely run away from us. Let us pray and ask the Lord to bless what we've heard and to help us as parents, to instruct our children. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. There is so much more that we could look at. But Lord, I pray that what we have shared and what we have heard, that it would challenge the fathers here, that it would challenge the mothers to be a help to the fathers in this great responsibility. Oh Lord, who of us can live up to that? Nobody. Lord, there's not one of us that could live up to this reality, and yet we are commanded to do so. And only you, our God, can command us to do the very things we can't because you give us the helper, the Holy Spirit, who empowers us to do all things. And we thank you, Lord. We praise you and we lift your name up high. Father, help the children here. Help them to submit to their fathers. Help them to remember these things so that when they become through fathers, these things might stick in their minds and that they might read your word and discern your ways. And Lord, for the young men and women here that perhaps are not married yet and are, are, are coming closer to that reality, I would pray, O oh God, that you would equip them, raise up a generation who would be far better equipped than any of the generations in the recent years before were. Oh, Father, make us your peculiar people, a people who are set apart for your ways and your purposes. And even if we stand alone, Father, help us to stand strongly for Jesus Christ, because he alone is worthy. Amen.